Today on Bob and Ear Live, Goober the Clown makes an argument for abortion, sidestepping the barrage of cringe. We'll talk about why everything she has to say is absurd. The U.S. is suffering from an oversupply of something that might surprise you and what you can do to help. Finally, the left is having a meltdown over a rather silly Republican talking point. Let's go, Brandon. Is that vulgar? All that and more coming up. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yart Live. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. I know mine was going quite well, actually, until I made the unfortunate mistake, as I often do, of visiting Twitter. And by the way, if you're ever in a good mood, don't visit, you know, I, I recommend staying far away from Twitter because it will change your good mood to a terrible mood in mere moments. It should be awarded for its effectiveness at changing good moods to bad news. But I would encourage you to follow me on Twitter, but I don't want to ruin your mood by bringing you to that godforsaken app where I, unfortunately, this weekend stumbled across a SNL skit that we're going to play for you here to start off the show. But trigger warning, what you're about to hear will probably be the most embarrassing cringe-inducing thing you have heard this month. This clip is a tad long, but it's worth going through the entire thing, and then we'll take it apart point by point. Be warned as we go ahead and roll the tape. Goober the clown who had an abortion when she was 23. <laughs> Goober the clown! So, Goober, you, you had an abortion when you were 23? Hey, whoa! Slow down! I'm a clown! Let's clown around! Hey, smell this flower! You're not gonna squirt me, are you? Oh, I would never. Okay. Oh, gotcha! Gotcha! I had an abortion the day before my 23rd birthday! Okay. It, it seems like you do want to talk about your abortion. Well, actually, I really don't. But people keep bringing it up, so I gotta keep talking about freaking abortion. But it's a rough subject, so we're gonna do fun clown stuff to make it more palatable. Whee! <laughs> And I wish I didn't have to do this, because the abortion I had at 23 is my personal clown business. But that's all some people in this country want to discuss all the time. Even though clown abortion was legalized in Clown v. Wade in 1973. Here. Did you know one in three clowns will have a clown abortion in their lifetime? You don't, because they don't tell you. They don't even know how to talk to other clowns about it. Because when they do talk about it, if you were a clown who wasn't the victim of something sad like clown sass, they think your clown abortion wasn't a righteous clown abortion. I mean, I don't think you can say that word on the show. What, abortion? Hold my finger. No. Laugh. I need it. I need you to laugh so hard. Like the way I laugh when the doctor asked if I got pregnant on the way over to the clinic because I wasn't very far along. And that is one of my favorite jokes to this day. I love that joke. Not like a funny ha-ha joke, but like a funny you're not an awful person and your life isn't over now joke. The best kind. A honka honka. <laughs> And in the waiting room, they had a little guest book where all the clowns could write their clown abortion story for the next clown to read it so she wouldn't feel so alone. A wooga! And then years later, you'll be at a dinner with a big group of clowns, and one clown will go out on a limb and say she's had an abortion. And then, like, eight other clowns at the table say they've had an abortion, too, because that's how common it is. And then everyone's excited and relieved to be talking about it. Then it's like, wow, we kept this secret for so long despite being so grateful it happened. Honka, honka, honka! 
Okay, Colin, here's my truth. I know I wouldn't be a clown on TV here today if it weren't for the abortion I had the day before my 23rd birthday. Clowns have been helping each other end their pregnancies since the caves. It's gonna happen, so it ought to be safe, legal, and accessible. We will not go back to the alley. I mean, the last thing anyone wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. Okay, all right, now that your mood is ruined, I don't feel guilty asking, so go ahead and follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Dominic and Yurt. Okay, so aside from the embarrassment so palpable that it will be causing generational cringe PTSD for the next three generations of humanity, what can we take away from this video? And you're welcome, by the way, because we edited out a good chunk of that clip. We actually thought that that would be too embarrassing for our audience here on KLTT and KGOV, the brightest audience in the country. Had we not skipped through some of that, we thought you would have been too embarrassed to keep listening. So on Bob and Yurt Live, we really watch out for you here. But so what can we take away from this video? First of all, notice that right off the bat, she says that she doesn't want to talk about her abortion, but people keep asking her about her abortion. But see, she says that, after dressing up like a clown and going on national TV to talk about her abortion. She's going through extreme lengths to talk about her abortion, then gets mad at people who want to hear about her abortion. So it's a tactic the left loves to use over and over. They say, hey, this is a big deal. This thing I'm talking about, it's super important. But if you disagree with me, why are you making such a big deal? And they do this to try and avoid any counter arguments because after all, you know, oh, what's the big deal? But don't let that fool you. This culture war, these issues, it's just that. It's a war and it's important. It's dreadfully important. It's a big deal. And if the left ever wants to act like it isn't a big deal and they want to act like they didn't start it, you know what? Whatever. Who cares what they do? You go out and you make it a big deal because it is. You know, we have all of these shout your abortion stories online. And then when Christians go and condemn that, they say, oh, what are you making such a big deal about? It's like, well, you were the one who was literally saying hashtag shout your abortion. And now you're pretending like this isn't a big deal. Well, it is. Okay, so anyways, she mentions a few things that I found interesting. One is a stat that, and by the way, as Christians, we're called to protect the innocent and hold back the innocent from the slaughter. So we need to be very involved with abortion. That needs to be one of our, our primary focuses. And knowing the statistics of abortion is very important. So I recommend that you be well read up on the abortion statistics, but she mentions a statistic. One in three women have an abortion in their lifetime. She mentions a joke the abortionist told her when she went to murder her child. She mentions a book in the abortion mill lobby that was to share your story about how you murdered your child so other people can feel better about murdering their children. And then she also mentions that someday after you've had an abortion, you'll meet other women who've also had abortions and it'll be great. Ha ha ha. What a fun time. Right now. Why does she mention these things? We see an enormous monumental push from the left to humanize abortion as if it's the most normal thing in the world. But despite how hard they try to normalize abortion, they are unable 
their efforts, they succeed actually at making them temporarily feel good about themselves. But as always, as sin does 100% of the time, sin always backfires. And in this case, it backfires by undermining exactly why abortion it's not humane. So the very thing that they're trying to do, it hurts their own goal. We see the pro-abortion crowd get so emotional about abortion. And now if you're ever out doing anti-abortion ministry, which as Christians we are called to do, if you're ever out there doing ministry and a woman who's super emotional and screaming about abortions, she comes up to you and she's yelling at you and she's angry at you. It's safe to assume that she's had an abortion, and recognizing that can be a really powerful tool when doing ministry, so keep that in mind if they're screaming about how great abortion is and they're mad at you, whatever it is, they have had an abortion, and they might not admit that at first, but if they're emotional, you can know that they're lying, they have had an abortion, and that knowledge is a valuable tool. You can call out their lie in that conversation. So that's just a little bit of a tip for when doing anti-abortion ministry. But so we see the pro-abortion crowd get so emotional about abortion and scream about how great it is, and they try desperately to humanize it, right? But they kind of shoot themselves in the foot when they do this. As they're screaming about how great abortion is, they undermine their own case. So let's look at another issue for an example. I imagine myself going to the dentist and as I'm walking in, let's say there's some lunatic nut job outside protesting the dentist saying, you know, oh, he murders little tiny teeth people. You know, I wouldn't get emotional. I wouldn't counter protest. I wouldn't be saying, oh, this is healthcare. I have a right to this. This is my healthcare. You know, I'd just be like, oh, well, uh, that's a little weird. And then I would move on. That would be the end of it. I wouldn't think any more about it. I wouldn't need to hear stats about how many other people went to the dentist. I wouldn't need to hear a calming joke about how great teeth are. I wouldn't need a book in the lobby telling me stories of other people's dental history. I wouldn't need to meet people later in life who've also gone to that same dentist. I just wouldn't need that. I'd just go and I wouldn't need to humanize it. I wouldn't need to justify it. I'd just go and it'd be as simple as that. So as they're screaming how great abortion is, they might as well be holding a sign that just says, you know, I know abortion is wrong and I'm trying to live with myself for having done such an awful thing. That's what they're doing, and their passion betrays their message. Now, these women, sometimes I think to myself, you know, maybe if you just keep telling yourself that, you'll actually begin to believe it. Maybe you'll become so callous that murdering your own baby seems like a beautiful thing to you. And that is possible. That's a possibility. The mind is a beautiful thing. It's a complicated, beautiful, astounding thing. And what you feed it can affect you in a powerful way. And if it's warped, sadly, it can go to some seriously bad places, including that of genuinely believing that murdering your own child is a good thing. They, they can't tell right from wrong, which you don't start off that way. It's human nature. You slowly build up a callus to these things, a callus to sin. I remember when I was younger saying bad words 
to me, that was this huge ordeal that was the biggest thing in the world. And I was terrified to do it because I would feel super guilty about it. But then I would start hanging out with more of these worldly kids who did it constantly. And that had a real negative impact on me because then swearing did not seem like such a big deal to me. And then I remember the first time I did it because it was a big thing. I said a bad word. And then I remember feeling guilty about it. I I remember feeling that was wrong of me, but I was still around these people who were a bad influence on me. So I kept swearing and eventually it got to the point where I wouldn't even notice I was swearing. It just came out naturally. And then to the point where it was even a funny thing that someone would do it and it would make me laugh. And so I got to that really bad point, which obviously is a lot more minor of an issue than abortion. But I got to that point where I thought this bad thing is good. It's it's funny, right? It's a beautiful thing. And then to unwarp my mind from that, it's difficult. It's something we have to, to focus on. But with these people, it's genuinely possible, you know, obviously to a much greater extreme than that to warp your mind into thinking that something so terrible and evil is genuinely beautiful. And so when I I think things like keep telling yourself that and you'll eventually believe it, that's not just me thinking that. That's an actual recognition of reality because it genuinely can get that bad. So pro tip, and I I do consider myself a pro. Um, Bob Enyart said, as Christians, we have the obligation to become an expert on morality. And you in the audience, you have an obligation to become a pro, to become an expert on right and wrong. And so a tip from a pro, if you're doing something, say it's the first time you're doing it, and you get the sense that what you're doing is wrong, you're probably right about that. Your conscience, it's there for a reason. And if you think what you're about to do is wrong, you know, you should really look into that and compare it with scripture to see if what you're doing is right or wrong. For the most part, it's probably going to be wrong if that's what your conscience is telling you. And if you're not sure about it, if you think it's a gray area, always err on the side of not doing it. If you think it might be right or it might be wrong, but you're not completely 100% sure, don't do it. Because if you're going to make a mistake, make a mistake on the side of caution and make a mistake on the side of not dishonoring God. So that is my pro tip for you. A good litmus test, actually, when you're trying to figure out what's right and wrong is to do whatever is more difficult. So say your friends are they're going to go out to a bar drinking or something and you're not completely sure is this right? Is this wrong? And you're on the fence about it because you don't have the greatest understanding. If you're on the fence and it seems like it'd be really fun to go and, you know, you'd feel real bummed out if you missed it, but you're not sure about it whatever seems more difficult. So if missing out on that fun, that seems more difficult to you, then don't do it. Miss out on the fun and error on the side of caution when you don't know what to do. The right thing to do more often than not, it's extremely hard to do. But as my predecessor often said, we must do right and risk the consequences. Uh, In this video, this clown She also, and that's a very fitting illustration, by the way, a clown. She also says at the end when she's kind of wrapping things up, she says, here's my truth. And reminder that the truth 
isn't something that belongs to anyone. It's a statement of reality. There is no your truth. There is no my truth. There is only the truth. And that is a point I will hound on until the day I die. That is a hill I will die on. And I ask that you have courage and die on that hill with me. She says she knows that she wouldn't be on TV if it hadn't been for her abortion. And people, even on the right, often criticize us of calling abortion child sacrifice. That's one of the best descriptions of abortion is child sacrifice. They say it's too mean or it's a bad description or it's just kind of a odd way of describing abortion. But what do we see time and time again? We see women who've had abortions, they say, I couldn't go to school without this. I can't focus on my career without this. I can't have the lifestyle I want without this. They are literally sacrificing their own children to achieve their goals. So saying it's child sacrifice, it is quite literally a perfect description of abortion. You know, Like people in the ancient times, right? They would sacrifice their children to their false gods. And at least they were doing it because they thought they'd die otherwise. It's still obviously a horrific evil. But those people back then, they weren't as bad as the left is today. Today, I mean, the left, they mutilate their own children just for their own comfort. Back in ancient times, it was like, oh, you know, the gods are going to kill us if we don't do this or whatever. But today, it's just for comfort. It is quite literally child sacrifice. They're sacrificing their children to be more comfortable. And it is much worse and much more grotesque than child sacrifice in the past. The clown also says abortion should be safe, legal, and accessible. Now, anyone else here remember when it was safe, legal, and rare? Remember that? She says safe, legal, and accessible. Does anyone else remember safe, legal, and rare? Keep in mind that the left is slowly but surely pushing that line constantly to the left. And they will never stop pushing that line. So I think it's up to us to erase that line in the sand walk about 50 miles in the other direction and redraw that line. I'm saying this to emphasize that we must become radical. The only way to beat radical leftism is with radical devotion to Christ. Now, I'm sure you guys in the audience, I'm sure you remember the world's most popular self-proclaimed right-wing religious fanatic, homophobic, anti-choice talk show host. You remember him, I'm sure. If we want to save western civilization we need to be more like that guy emphasis on the religious fanatic we have to be more like that guy or more accurately we have to be more like the one who that guy was trying to be like that means christ by the way in case you missed that we need to be more like christ we need to be radically more like christ and that's what being christian means to try and be like christ So as we move forward with these culture wars, let us become radical. Okay, and the last thing she said was, the last thing anybody wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. And now that's actually not the last thing I want. Uh, It's definitely not the first thing I want, but it's not the last thing either. I'd say the last thing I want is pretty much what we have right now, which is millions of murdered babies 
in abortion mills across the country dressed up as healthcare. A wolf is not nearly as dangerous as a wolf in sheep's clothing. So last thing anybody wants is a bunch of dead clowns in a dark alley. So if it's true, which it's not true, by the way, but if it were true that women would have just as many coat hanger abortions if it was illegal, call me callous. But if they die trying to murder their own baby, I'm not really going to feel all that bad. I mean, I'm going to be sorry and sad that the baby has died. But for them personally, I'm I'm not going to feel that bad about it personally. Um, you know, this actually reminds me of Romans chapter one. Paul here is talking about people who are sinning and he says they're wicked. And as he's talking about their sin, he says they are, quote, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And, you know, these clowns, these women having abortions, if they die because of their abortions, it's awfully reminiscent of what Paul there is saying. Like, hey, that's sad, but hey, it's, it's karma. You know, karma for lack of a better word. I don't believe in karma. But so sadly, this is a talking point we hear from the left a lot. They say women are going to get abortions anyways, so it should be legal so it can be done safely. And this argument, you know, it's very persuasive if you haven't thought about it for more than two seconds. It's very similar to saying, hey, rape should be made legal and regulated to keep it safe. Because after all, you know, rape is illegal, but people still rape each other. So we might as well make it legal and keep it regulated and make it a professional standard. Because if people are going to rape each other anyways, we might as well, you know, make it safe make it safe for the rapist because, you know, a rapist, he could go and he could try and rape somebody and then she could pull out a gun and shoot him. And, you know, we don't want that. We don't want back alley rapes. It should be done in a professional setting. The rapist should be tested for STDs. These certain precautions should be put in place. It should be done in a safe environment because rapists, they're going to rape people anyways, right? So, of course, we should try and make it safe. No, of course, that is absurd. That is completely ridiculous. You don't make something legal to protect the criminals as they're committing such a heinous crime. In the same way here with abortion, you don't make abortion legal to protect the mom. That is completely absurd. You don't make murder legal to protect the murderer. In society, it's very unhealthy and unhelpful to try and protect and make crime more safe. We don't try and make bank robbers more safe. We don't try and make rapists more safe as they're committing their crimes. And here with abortion, the goal is not to make murdering people more safe of an activity. The goal is to end abortion. It's to end rape and it's to end crime in general. So no, if abortion is made illegal and women are going to do back alley coat hanger abortions anyways, I'm not going to try and do a thing to help them or to protect them from their wickedness and from their sin. But instead, I will devote my life to fighting their wickedness and honoring and glorifying the Lord. And I pray that you join me in that effort. But okay, all right, now moving on, I want to talk about milk. The U.S. has too much milk. We are oversaturated with milk. Actually, before we want to talk about that, it is our telethon month. It is officially telethon month, November 2021. 
We typically set a dollar goal like 30 or 40,000, but this time we're looking for 20 new monthly donors who will sponsor one show a month. Being on air isn't cheap. We run about 20 broadcasts a month and it costs us about 150 bucks per show. We operate on a shoestring budget, so in the past we've relied heavily on those large donations and big dollar telethons, but that was when Bob was here. Now the ministry has less security and that makes promoting Bob's teachings and resources a daunting task. So if just you and 19 others can help us guarantee that the show goes on, Bob's biblically centered teachings will go out to thousands more. The ministries of so many godly leaders, authors, and preachers have been magnified tenfold or even a hundredfold after their passing. I think of C.S. Lewis and how he still today has such an impact on millions. We have no doubt Bob could have a similar impact and your sponsorship, just one show a month, could be such a tremendous force to help magnify this ministry and the gospel. So if you can help and sponsor just one show a month, or, you know, who knows, maybe you could sponsor half a show or a third of a show, or you could even sponsor two shows, who knows, that would be such a massive blessing. We have a few people who've signed up to sponsor already. I don't have his name here. It looks like he's an anonymous sponsor from out in California who is sponsoring today's show We don't want to be sponsored by Microsoft or we don't want to be sponsored by Facebook. We want to be sponsored by you, by other Christians, by other believers. And we'll give you credit. We'll let the audience know, hey, this show was sponsored by so-and-so and we are so blessed for their support. Or if you ask, we will keep things anonymous for you. But we are just so grateful for all of the support that you guys have poured out to us over the years. Being on air, it truly is an honor. And your support here with this telethon would really go a long way to promoting the ministry and to promote the word of God. You can do that by going to kgov.com, kgov.com, and by clicking the telethon banner at the top of the site or by clicking the sponsor a show button, kgov, kgov, kgov.com. All right, now, it's a bit of an odd story we've got here, but the U.S. actually has too much milk. Pulling out of the good old-fashioned news file and reading from Politico, quote, Most of the nation is facing an oversupply of milk, a challenge policymakers have been struggling to address. So I love this story so much just because it's just classic news. Uh, One time, me and my dad were in Minnesota for a hockey tournament. And by the way, if you're planning on playing hockey, I recommend not going to Minnesota because they are really, really good at hockey in Minnesota. We got absolutely hammered every game. But we were in, in Minnesota for a hockey tournament. And my dad, he saw a newspaper that was talking about a fire and a bank robbery. And he just said, oh, man, I just love that so much. I was like, what, what, why would you, why would you love that? And he just, oh, I just, man, I just miss the good old fashioned news. There's no pedophiles, no homos, no crisis of epic proportions, just good old fashioned classic news. And since then I've developed a love for just good old fashioned classic news. But so the U S is facing a crisis of having too much milk. From Politico, yes, food prices are up, but no, average milk prices aren't skyrocketing. They've basically stayed the same since January. 
That's because the U.S. overall has an oversupply of milk, and it's gotten worse over the past few decades as smaller farms have shuttered and larger farms have brought up their livestock and increasingly dominated the industry. It's been a problem that policymakers have been struggling to confront for years, and it's not clear that Washington, D.C. will address the issue. The Biden administration has pledged to address antitrust issues in industries ranging from technology to meatpacking. But so far, the dairy sector hasn't been the focus yet, in part because consumers aren't seeing significantly higher prices as a result of consolidation. The average price of milk nationally has stayed steady throughout the year, according to the Agriculture Department. Overall, the U.S. has been making more milk than it can use. Quote, the availability and supply of milk is not a concern. It's a concern about moving that milk to where it's needed, said Matt Herrick of the International Dairy Foods Association, one of the largest dairy lobby groups in the U.S. So today, I want to encourage you to embolden you listeners here at KLTT and KGOV. Do your part to flatten the milk curve and to go out and buy. I've been doing my part to help flatten the curve of this oversaturation of milk. I mean, this morning I had a giant glass of milk. So I encourage you as Americans, it is your duty. Go out and buy some milk and drink it. But so it's been interesting with these lockdowns and with inflation, the cost of other foods and meats, they've been going up significantly this year. But then the milk prices have just remained where they are. Now, this might be surprising to you, but I'm not actually going to cover this story in its entirety because it's honestly not that interesting. I mean, I think it's kind of funny, but what mainly got my attention was this paragraph from Politico. The White House in September slammed against giant meat packers for, quote, pandemic profiteering. While Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack introduced several regulations to step up USDA's enforcement of antitrust laws governing the meat industry. So it's talking about antitrust laws and a quick definition of antitrust laws just from Google. Antitrust laws are statutes developed by governments to protect consumers from predatory business practices and ensure fair competition. Antitrust laws are applied to a wide range of questionable business activities, including market allocation, bid rigging, price fixing, and monopolies. And so antitrust laws, they got me thinking about price gouging, actually. And I want to go through price gouging and talk a little bit about it. We tend to have a knee-jerk reaction against anyone who price gouges, but I want to talk about why that might not be the best emotional response. First of all, rather than talking about price gouging with the current lockdowns right now, we all have a lot of emotions tied into this current situation. So rather, I, I think it'd be smart to take an example from way back. Um, let's choose a natural disaster, say, I, I don't know, say... Um, Hurricane Sandy, that was what, uh, 2012. Um, That's far enough back that I don't think many of us have emotional ties to it. But Sandy killed hundreds of people and it cost billions of dollars. It was tragic all the way around. And in the midst of the hurricane, people saw an opportunity for profit. They go and bring clean water, blankets, supplies, generators, whatever it might be, and then they sell those for 10 times the normal price because people are desperate. They're willing to pay 
dramatically more than they otherwise would have ever paid and for things they never would have bought in before. But so driving up those prices amid a crisis, that's called price gouging. And typically people on both sides of the political aisle, they dislike price gouging and often argue it should be made illegal. And in most places, it is illegal. And these politicians, they say and they argue, hey, it's not right to profit off of a disaster. People shouldn't be allowed to be greedy like that, which I suppose fighting greed is a nice sentiment, but it's not actually the most helpful. See, the ideal response to a disaster is that, you know, there'd be some dire need for supplies, something like that. And there might be, say, someone who lives far away and they might see that and think, oh, I can bring those supplies. I'll bring those supplies and I can make a good chunk of change while I'm doing that. So he gets stuff together and then he drives down and then he makes, you know, a week of it and people get what they need and they survive and that guy gets money and everything's better. But what happens instead is the government comes along and says, you're not allowed to make money off of this. He says that to that guy who is going to help. So that same guy who would have brought down 500 water bottles and 10 generators or whatever, he just decides, yeah, you know, I'd like to help, but I'm just going to, I'm just going to stay home. I, I can't afford to just give this stuff away. Then I don't know, maybe he donates 20 bucks to someone's GoFundMe instead or something. He ends up contributing basically nothing to save people because the government told him that he couldn't make money. And then those people who are out there in the wet cold, they don't have any generators to use. They don't have any blankets. They don't have any food to eat. Nothing like that. And, you know, that doesn't mean that guy who lives 75 miles away and doesn't know any of these people is a bad person for not opening a charity, but it does mean that these people go without the supplies that they need. And when the government controls prices, say in normal day-to-day -day life, this isn't, you know, I'm not talking about a crisis mode, just in normal day-to-day -day life, when the government controls prices, we see two big problems happen. There's a lot of problems, but two big problems that happen from this is overconsumption in some areas and shortage in others. And the reason for that is people won't, they're not willing to sell in areas that the prices have been regulated. Those places will naturally have shortages. So instead, the merchants or the business owners, they will go to places that don't have the prices regulated and they will try and only sell in those places. And then those places, the market becomes oversaturated and there's overconsumption in those areas. Now, when there is a crisis, there's no difference. It's the exact same thing. If people go to where they can make money, but they don't go to where they can't make money. So if we were to allow people to set the prices as they see fit in all situations, that wouldn't be us giving up and conceding to greed. No, instead, that would be a method we could use to create a much needed incentive for people to think long and think hard about how do we get the most resources to the most people? Because the more people you save, the more money you make, right? So just put yourself in this situation. Pretend you're a business owner and you're trying to make some money. If there's an elevated demand for your product, 
you'll try to sell more of it. And if you can't sell more of it, because say, I don't know, the supply chain is messed up, you will raise the prices. And if you can't raise the prices, you're going to stop selling it because you're not making any money on it. You see, the free market, letting people do what they want and sell things for what they want, even in a disaster zone, will always accomplish the most good. And every time the government gets involved, it always muddies the water and encourages people to do less work. There might be some people that get upset that things are more expensive, but hey, you know, they have access to those things now, whereas without those, you know, the greedy people, they wouldn't have had anything at all. And these people who are coming down to help and trying to make some money, they aren't running a charity. Maybe you think they should run a charity, or maybe you think you should run a charity, in which case, you know, I, re I recommend you do so you can learn how difficult that is. But they're not running a charity. They're there to make a profit. And if you take away that incentive, they won't be there at all. And so you see these laws they have, laws always have unintended consequences. That's just the way of life. The more laws, the more consequences. So I don't know 100% what all is going on with this COVID mess and with there being too much milk, but I do have a message to the government, a message from yours truly, Dominic Enyart. The more you get out of the way, the better things will get. You see, the main thing, if you want to have a successful economy, the main, the most bottom baseline function that you need to accomplish is that work needs to get done. That is the baseline function. And the more work that gets done, the better things will be for everybody. So if your system is a system that encourages people to do more work and to give more products to more people and deliver more services, the better things will be. So with this price gouging, it's encouraging people to stay home and to not work. And that will end up hurting things because people are not working. And with this lockdown nonsense, we are encouraging people to not work. And that's a disaster. And a message to our government, please just get out of the way and things will get better. Now, I did want to get to the Let's Go Brandon segment, but I am realizing we are crazy behind on time here. Maybe we'll do that tomorrow. That, that stuff is funny. We do have to wrap it up for today, sadly, which I that Let's Go Brandon stuff, it is so funny. But so I do want to remind you, this show was sponsored by a anonymous listener out there in California. We are looking for 20 donors to help us sponsor one show a month and give us the security that it takes to continue with the ministry. We do about 20 shows a month and they cost 150 bucks a pop. And we really, we don't have a lot of security here at the ministry. And so if you are able to commit to giving us some security, that would go such a long way to helping us promote Bob's teachings and his resources and making more and more things free for everybody and more available on a wider scale. So please go to kgov.com, click the telethon button, click the sponsor a show button. That would be such a blessing to us and to our ministry and to the other people who aren't able to afford to support us. They want the show to keep going. So consider a ministry of yours that you are paying to help those people as well. We are committed to keeping the ministry going as long as possible. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm glad you're here with us. We look forward to growing this ministry with your support. 
So go to KGOV, K-G-O-V, KGOV.com and click the telethon banner or click the sponsor a show button. Thank you so much. We'll see you again here tomorrow. And until then, this is Dominic Enyart reminding you to do right and to risk offending people, risk the consequences. All right, everybody. God bless.